0: of North Carolina on the Outer Banks uh, because of a storm, whether a hurricane or a nor'easter. Um, you know, sometimes the wind and the waves shift and move the sand around in such a way that uh, the skeleton of an old ship that run, that ran aground is, is revealed. Or uh, sometimes you'll even hear about uh, somewhere in Egypt or Palestine where the wind has blown the sand in, in a way um, where... Something that's hidden under the sand is exposed, an old building or dwelling, a settlement uh, from even Jesus' day. Such has been the case with the pandemic. Such has been the case with the pandemic over the last year. Like wind and water exposing something hidden under the sand, the pandemic has, in, has exposed and laid bare an uncomfortable truth of our broken humanity. Our need to and our desire for control. There's nothing like being confronted with a situation that you cannot control to expose your need to control, right? I've constantly been confronted uh, with that part of me. Uh, Maybe you have too. That false self that isn't the, the true self that God is is fashioning. This year uh, has been almost like a painful withdrawal as I've come face to face with what the need to control does to me and how I'm more of a control freak than I would like to admit. How it increases anxiety, how it chokes off communion with God, how it puts up walls of defense, how it manipulates, how it How it makes us um, reactionary. How it creates an entire structure of of self referenced existence, centering us and decentering God. So, So much of what robs us of abundant life can be traced back to our need to control. Which is why we need another way, friends. A need to, to repent, to return, to return again and again toward something else. Not surprisingly, Jesus offers us another way. A re turning point. And as we talked about last week, that's what repentance is, right? It's it's returning from going one way to going to and through God to a new and better way. And this morning, Jesus invites us to return from control to the cross. From control to the cross. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root deep within us, grow us, transform us so that we might uh, bear fruit for you uh, and your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, the eighth chapter, verses 31 through 38. Listen for God's word. Then Jesus began to teach his disciples, the human one must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the legal experts and be killed. And then after three days rise from the dead. He said this plainly. But Peter took hold of Jesus and scolding him began to correct him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and sternly corrected Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking God's thoughts, but Human thoughts. After calling the crowd together with his disciples, Jesus said to them, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their crosses, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me and because of the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? What will people give in exchange for their lives? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this unfaithful and sinful generation, the human one will be ashamed of that person when he comes in the Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Jesus had just asked the disciples who, the, who they thought that he, that he was. And Peter spoke up and said, You are the Messiah. In a moment that seemed like a breakthrough. And then Jesus plainly begins to tell them about what being the Messiah actually would entail. Suffering, rejection, death, resurrection. In, in short, the cross. And this, is too, this is too much for them. Whatever they've expected of the Messiah, they certainly were not on board with a Messiah who would suffer and die a defeated and dead messiah was a surefire sign of a false messiah again, Peter spoke for the whole group, and the scripture is very descriptive here. He took hold of Jesus and began to scold him and correct him. Think like parent grabbing a child, taking that child to the side to, to correct them. Mark doesn't tell us what he said, but, but we can guess. Jesus, you can't do that. You're supposed to restore Israel. You're supposed to save us. What about us? What's going to happen to us? Are we headed for the same fate as you are? If you're the Messiah, you've got to save your own life so that you can save our lives too and make our lives better. Whatever whatever he says, it's clear that Peter is trying to control things. Peter is trying to be controlling in the midst of a path that seems out of his control. And so Jesus responds with his own rebuke. Get behind me, Satan. I mean, talk about strong language there. You're not thinking God's thoughts, but human thoughts. In other words, God has in mind the cross. You have in mind control. God's got in mind saving and selfless love. You've got in mind self-preservation. Peter is us, friends. (laughs) Peter is is who human beings have been from the very beginning. I mean, how how often I've taken Jesus aside in in my life and said something to the effect of, no, Jesus, not like this. I've got this. How often I've essentially said, Okay, Jesus, I'm going to go this way. You follow me. <laughs> you follow me. The original temptation, the most basic human temptation is to take over God's role in our life. We were made to experience our, our deepest life, meaning, purpose, and intimate and loving union with God at the very center of our life, at the very center of our, our being. And yet we again and again have chosen to play God rather than pray to God. It represents two fundamental ways of being in the world. Trusting in our human resources and abilities or a radical trust in God. One creates this false self that controls and seeks to control. And the other, our true self, seeks to surrender. There's a story, just a few chapters in Genesis, where self-absorbed people build a gigantic structure called Babel, saying, quote, let us make a name for ourselves. Our false self creates a mode of being in the world that that, that decenters God and centers ourselves, creating our own little Babel, structure of meaning, value, and purpose that supports this, this self centering and it 's all about control all about control reminds me of a of a story parable about people on an airplane. Uh, a small plane with uh, with five passengers on it had an engine malfunction and, and was going down. The pilot came out of the cockpit with a parachute strapped to his back and addressed the group folks there 's bad news, and there is good news. The bad news is that the plane is going down and And there's nothing more I can do. The good news is that there are several parachute packs by the wall back there. The bad news is that there are four of them, and there are five of you. But good luck. Thank you for for choosing our airline. We hope you have a good evening, wherever your final destination may be. He gave the group a thumbs-up sign and was out of the door. A woman leaped up from her seat. I'm one of the most prominent brain surgeons in the Northeast. My patients depend on me, and she grabbed a pack strapped it on her back, and leaped out. A man stood up, I'm a partner in a large law practice, and my office would fall to pieces without me. And he stood up, grabbed a pack, strapped it on his back, and leaped out. Another man stood up and said, I'm arguably the smartest man in the world. My IQ is so high, I won't even tell you what it is. But surely you must understand that I, I must have a parachute. So he grabbed a bundle and, and leaped out. And that left only two people on the plane, a a middle-aged pastor and a teenage boy. Son said to the pastor, you've got, you're young, you've got your whole life ahead of you. God bless you and safe landing. And the teenager grinned at the older man. Thank you, pastor, but there's still two parachutes left. The smartest man in the world just grabbed my knapsack. Now that's of twisted, but but painfully honest, too. We're, we're always trying to secure our own lives, aren't we? Always trying to control and, and remain in control. We grab so many parachutes and strap them on our backs, whatever it takes to maintain control and still be the center of our own stories to secure our own lives and meaning and purpose to preserve our false self. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's our job, maybe it's a, a a false narrative of another, another people group. Maybe it's not venturing beyond neighborhoods, appearing safe. Maybe it's even resorting to violence or, or, or harmful, harmful rhetoric or, or even an insular existence with lots of high walls. We, we tend to be very reactionary, very protective, very manipulative when we live with ourselves at the center. For instance, h- how do you react while driving when another when another driver invades your space and they cut you off in traffic or, or pull out in front of you from a side road and force you to go slower than you plan to go, do you get angry? Do you become aggressive, defending your space on the road, protecting your agenda for the drive or or trip? I was convicted this week when I realized how how bent out of shape I got when I realized that two of my boys had been playing in the mud in the backyard. And while I was trying to clean the mud off of the shoes of one of them, the other was dropping mud balls on the deck and stomping on them with his foot at the same time. And my reaction was embarrassing. Embarrassing. Was it really the mud? Playing in the mud is great. It's fun. Or was it the fact that I felt not in control? And those are just small examples. And, and, and trust me, the irony is not lost on me, the fact that this is a sermon on our need to control and what happened with the weather this morning. Controlling people want to stay comfortable. Comfortable people don't need Jesus. But fortunately, Je- Jesus isn't finished. I mean, this becomes a, a teaching moment, a returning point for him. And he presents a returning point. When he says, all who want to come after me, all who want to follow me must, take, must say no to themselves, take up their crosses, and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me and the good news will save them. Why would people gain the whole world but lose their life? What will people give in exchange for their lives? It seems like a paradox, right? It is a paradox, but this is nothing less than a dramatic return toward the, to the cross. When we turn toward the cross, we say no to, we deny the false self that wants to control and be the center of everything. That self was crucified with Jesus. The cross shatters Our false self-centering life and self and reveals our true life, our true selves in Christ. When we turn to the cross, our true self made for communion with Jesus and with one another shines and emerges. And that's important. Denying ourselves and following the Christ of the cross is not about denial for denial's sake. It's not about uh, being a martyr, a kind of martyr who who stays in an abusive relationship or has no uh, boundaries. It's not about a kind of self-hating. It's about not giving our false self room to breathe and dominate our lives. As theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, the follower of Jesus must say to his or her false self, the self-centered controlling self, the same words Peter said to Christ when he denied him I know not this man in other words it is to be more aware of the Christ who lives within us than the controlling false self who still tries to live there too it is to be aware that we cannot be truly ourselves on our own we cannot truly be ourselves on our own it is to surrender to the fact that there are times in our lives when losing our agenda, losing control, losing wants means we actually find our true identity and purpose. When we repent, when we return toward the cross, we come face to face with the truth that, that only Jesus is really in the business of saving and giving true abundant life. We recognize what happens when we try to, to find, secure, preserve that for ourselves. And it's not good. The cross decenters us and centers Jesus. To return toward the cross is to liberate ourselves from our own need to be in control. Our own need to control We don't need control to be great. The cross displays God's supreme greatness. And therefore the truth that because God is great, we don't need to be in control. We just need to follow. Because this cross displays God's greatness, God is great, we don't need to be in control. We just need to follow. What a beautiful letdown, right? What a beautiful surrender. There is a love that is stronger than our need to control. In my office, I have a semi-translucent, and I wish I had thought to, to, to bring it and hold it up. I have a semi-translucent teal-tinted cross made of, of glass. I mean, it's very, it's very thick, Almost like a rock. And it was a gift from from Duke Divinity School when I graduated. And you can actually look through it. And I thought about that this week as I was wrestling with my own need to to repent from control and turn toward the cross instead. I, I wonder what it would mean for us to imagine looking through the lens of the cross in moments when our false self, our controlling self, seeks to assert itself in moments where we're tempted to, to lash out, moments when we want to buy something we don't need or work longer than we should or retreat into comfort or manipulate or say or do anything that to prop up our illusion that we are the center of everything. To just close our eyes, take a breath, uh, uh, unclench our hands, open up our fists, let go and see nothing but the cross in front of us. A place of surrender, a posture of receiving, not seizing. What would it mean for us to look to live through the lens of the cross and not through the lens of control? It might mean the difference between a a weary, burdensome life and an abundant life. Because here's the truth. The yoke of our own choosing, our bearing, our bearing of a, of a self-centered, controlling life is exhausting and heavy. Jesus tells us to take up our crosses, and Jesus says also, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy and burden light. To go Jesus' way under the sign of the cross is not misery, but peace and joy. Because then, we don't walk under the burden of having to control everything. But under the burden, under the cross of Jesus, who knows us and walks with us under it. Jesus who knows us and who walks under it with us. And the pain or the grief that that may come with this returning is nothing less than God's love persevering in us. So here's the fundamental question for us. Ask yourself, is my life journey energized by the desire to maintain and assert control or by the desire to abandon myself to Jesus? Our Christian life is not defined by, by what we desire to control, but, but, but by what we're willing to surrender because of the power of the cross. Jesus invites us to, to repent, to return from control to the cross. And when we make that return, which we will need to do over and over again, we discover that there is no better loss than to lose ourselves in Jesus. And there is no better find than to find ourselves in Jesus. Friends, our lives, ourselves, are being exposed all the time by the winds and the tides of life. May what's exposed be less and less control and more and more the cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As we did last Sunday, uh, space now just